have to to talk about facts, and it's a fact. They care so much about football, especially on the top. But I've never seen anything like this Liverpool crowd. Liverpool crowd. They would be the champions of England, and they wanted their own people to see them become so. closer um, than I thought it would be at the half. Wasn't really expecting it to be that tight a game, although Southampton's looked good lately. Um, I was expecting a tight game. Um, number one, Southampton has nothing to lose. And I think going forward for the rest of the season, we're going to see teams play against Liverpool with reckless abandon, quote-unquote. They want to be the team that breaks our invincibles. Right, exactly. So that would be the reward of going for it. And if they fail, then there's no real loss because nobody expected them to beat us. Yeah, for Southampton, losing 4 nothing to Liverpool makes no news anywhere ever. Right. So why not? Go for it. And, and quite frankly, in the first half, they showed, they showed a lot. Um, I think Liverpool showed um, not so much. So one of the things I was going to ask you about, which kind of had me baffled, in the first half, we had a lot of, like, giveaways, but not, you know, the giveaways that sometimes happen, you, you put it a little too far, just, like, brutal giveaways, bad back passes that led to real chances for Southampton. Why? Like, it felt like there was just more than there should be. I've noticed that all of the games in January so far have had that theme. Um, I don't recall Liverpool playing a an excellent 90 minutes since the Leicester game in December. And I wonder if part of that is, I know it's not complacency, right? And I know that after halftime, Klopp has the team refocused and um, he drills into them whatever he wants them to do in order to win the game. And so I wonder if part of that is Liverpool recognizing that the first half they just want to feel out the opponent they want to allow the opponent to exert themselves and then in the second half they would now complete the the job or the task of of winning the game so that is a really good point while you were talking to me it just kind of occurred to me because you you did say liverpool has not looked good in january i would agree um and i actually do remember hearing um, that Klopp, uh, Klopp's record with Liverpool is not phenomenal in January. Right. And so I just looked it up. So under Klopp, before this year, um, they had played 12 games, won four, drawn four, and lost four. Wow. So compared to the just smoking um, that they do the rest of the year and the fact that they're winning a ridiculous amount, four, four, and four. Is, is that Premier League or Ultimate Premier League? Really? Yeah. So that is that is kind of shocking. Um, I can't even believe that it's that bad, but apparently... Yeah, because I remember the first full season he had when we lost Sadio Mane to the African Nations Cup. I remember that, that season. So prior to January, we, we were in with a shot for the title, or at least we were... Um, we were competing for the title, and then by the end of January, we were just happy to be in top four. We So in 
won one, drew one, lost two. Right. Then in 2017, we won zero, drew three, and lost one. And then last in 1718, we won three and lost one. And that lost one was the one to Man City, which we all want to forget. I, and I think that extended into February because that's where we tied the two or three games: West Ham, Everton, and and that's what gave Man U. And that's what gave Man City the the title right. that year. So I mean, interesting point that you make, which is, um, you know, maybe there is just a, a a systemic thing under the Klopp system that these guys are getting tired, um, uh, mentally maybe, if not physically. And in January, it kind of comes out there. They need to recharge for the rest of the season. And January is a bit of a lull. Because you're right, they haven't had a good 90 minutes. And the giveaways in the first half were really surprising and, and kind of a little bit scary to me. Um, super glad they cleaned it up in the second half, though. I'm just thinking, um, I wonder I wonder if Danny Ings, having played with Liverpool prior to um, last season, I wonder if he knew anything about the fact that Liverpool is there for the taking in the first half. So that's that's possible because they actually had some decent chances in the first half. Mm-hmm. I'd say one of their best ones. It's funny you you mentioned Danny Ings. Um, first of all, I really like the fact that there seemed to be no bad blood. This is not a, a Coutinho coming back to Liverpool. This is a guy that you know I think Klopp liked. I think Klopp sold him for his own best intentions. I think um, Klopp knew he wouldn't work in the system, but I think Klopp knew he was a good player, and I think Klopp wanted to do right by him. So good for him, and Ing seemed to be genuinely happy to see his former teammates, and I like to see that. Um, but the moment that that does um, kind of trigger in my head, and I know we talked about this in the last podcast, was Danny Ings in the 22nd minute. He had a great chance coming in, and for some inexplicable reason, he decided to put the ball on a pass across the box instead of taking a shot. And I'm coming back to um, Allison is in other players' heads. I think guys come into the box, I think uh, they have a shot, and I think they get scared. So Ings had an opportunity to shoot and then he chose not to. He had an opportunity to shoot. And he passed it up for a nothing. Um, and frankly, like it was it was kind of surprising because the guy's become a very good striker this year. He's got good numbers. Um, he seems to make good decisions uh, when he has the ball. And so the fact that he made kind of what I would think is not so good a decision, um, is is a bit surprising and and again I come back to there's a why for everything. So why and I think it's because he was afraid of Allison. I think um, Allison is the premier goalie in the EPL, and I think guys are just afraid of going up against him. But doesn't that make it a good decision in that case, right? Um, he can have a shot like other strikers have, but knowing that Allison is... So he hasn't conceded a goal in... He's conceded one goal in the past two months, I believe, since he came back from We've injury. kept, I think, seven of eight clean sheets or eight of nine clean sheets or something like that. Right. Now, I was reading... Um, there's actually this really cool um, post on Twitter that was saying that in the past two months, Allison has baptized more 
people, then he's letting go. <laughs> so that's, well, I know he's baptized at least one and he's only letting one goal. So at the very least... Well, he baptized Fred's wife. Oh, so then yes, he has baptized too. Fred the Manchester United player. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the closest Fred's going to get to beating <laughs> Allison anytime soon. Um, no, so that was unnecessary. But uh, no, I mean, the guy's been on fire. Um, and, and if you're a player, how can he not get into your head? So I've actually looked up the statistics on him. He's let in zero shots this year from outside the box. So really think about that. If you're shooting at Allison from outside the box, you are probably going to sky it because you're aiming for a corner. This season? This season. Do you know what that compares to last year? I'd have to look that yeah. up. So that's not bad. I, I, can, to, I can take a look. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, it can't get any better last year because 100% is about as good as you can get. Um, but the thing is, like, you do have to think. Last year, he was in contention for the player of the year. So he was phenomenal last year. He's statistically phenomenal this year. Um, he's the best player statistically in the in the EPL uh, in terms of save percentage and all that. So he's doing a phenomenal job. So my thought is on that Ings chance, I think that he was in the guy's head. I think Ings was... Um, he came in, I think on another goal he would have shot and he would have expected to score. On Allison, he didn't. And I think he rightly didn't because... Like you said, he did what's the actual right decision, which is don't take a shot on this guy unless you've got a mostly open net. When you've got him, um, you're not you're not dead center. When you're on an angle, when you've got a defender on you, you're not going to beat him. I remember way back when with Peter Schmeichel um, playing for Manchester United, that was a theme of his where other other players would be hesitant in shooting unless they had the perfect shot. The perfect opportunity to 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 at least put the ball on target and, and have have a chance but as they're overthinking that then the defenders come in and and provide an obstacle for the difference shot. i would say between schmeichel and uh and allison is that schmeichel was a bit of a prick because <laughs> every time there would be a goal he would yell at his defenders and he'd yell at the team because the truth is he was that good a goalie that if a goal went in, someone made a mistake and it wasn't him. But yeah. he wasn't much of a team player. Well, Allison, you can see him building up the team. Um, so I do, I do hear you. I think Schmeichel was that level, and I think Allison is carrying that on. Yeah, I think it was also a different era too. Um, that was the '90s where it was, it was seen as, as. Uh... But you do remember, you do remember Schmeichel. He was like, I, I remember every goal he would just lay into right. his teammates. And, and the thing was, like, he was never wrong. I know. It's not like it was, uh, well, if if he had maybe done this or that. No, no, The teammate screwed up because Schmeichel never did. Like, he was truly phenomenal. Well, that's what I wanted to say. In the 90s, it was it was a, you know, you yell and you slide tackle and it's, it, was, it was all physical and brute, right? So that was part of the era. Uh, so... Um, Allison, fantastic goalie. Uh, I think he's making a big difference, psychologically even. The other thing that I noticed in the game um, was on Hendo's goal. So a great pass, just a phenomenal pass from Firmino. Hendo, uh, a little bit of a heavy first touch, but he managed to catch up to it, put it in the net. And what I noticed was he did the consummate leader 
professional thing is he pointed at Firmino right away and ran straight to him. Most guys, when they score a goal, are running for the stands, are beating their chest, showing the number on their back. Salah's ripping the shirt off. Um, you know, Hendo is going straight to the guy that, that made the play happen for him. To me, that shows leadership. That shows that he understands. He cares about everybody else being looked at as amazing, and he doesn't care what you think of him because he's going to lead this team. Two things on that. Um, I think that the Champions League win last season has really helped to solidify Henderson in his own mind as one of the potential greatest captains of Liverpool Football Club. So prior to that, he knew that he was fortunate to have taken the armband from Steven Gerrard. And he knew that he had a lot to offer to, to this team. But now that he's lifted the Champions League, it's given him the freedom to know that there's so much more for him to to achieve and possibly immortalize himself with Gerard and So I would say that his legacy has definitely uh, been improved significantly since the Champions League. Uh, I wouldn't even say the win. I would say that win over Barcelona. Um, but I think the win was necessary. The trophy win was necessary. The trophy win was necessary. But I, I would say when you look at uh, the win over Barcelona, the win over Barcelona was, let's face it, uh, Messi is one of the best players who's ever lived. And he is a phenomenal soccer talent. And I think the Barcelona game showed that when it comes to Messi and it comes to Hendo, one of them's a great player and one of them's a great captain. Uh, there's no way I could ever see Hendo's team giving up a three-goal lead, even though we gave it up to Salzburg and then got it back. But uh, Hendo just brings something to it. I take your point. I think you're right. When you look at Hendo, I think that Champions League win brought him a legitimacy that changed his game and changed him mentally. Because think about it last year. Before Fabinho came in, uh, Hendo was the defensive midfielder. And we were all talking about how this guy can't do the job. Then, fast forward a year, and Fabinho goes down. Hendo is all of a sudden moved back into that role of defensive midfielder. And lo and behold, we have seven of eight clean sheets. Can you honestly tell me the defensive midfielder that he is t today, the one that he's been this year, is anything like the one that he was last year? He has improved phenomenally and i think a big part of that's mental like you said yeah and and um the reason why i i called out the importance of the champions league win is we remember the barcelona win from last season because it was last season but in 20 years from now only hardcore fans would remember that win without the champions league win so if i look back to the the six trophies that we've lifted the european cups i know the captains of each Right, so Graham Souness, Phil Thompson, Steven Gerrard, um, Crazy Horse, who lifted the first one, um, Jordan Henderson, now, right, and and I think him adding his name to that list of previous captains, he, he has reminded him of the opportunity he has to be the first Liverpool captain to lift the Premier League, and knowing that he's a Champions League cap captain, Champions League winning captain would give him the 
legitimacy in his own mind to know that he can actually do this. And I think that's what's keeping him focused and professional and driving the rest of his team forward. So, absolutely, I think the Champions League win has legitimized him in a lot of people's mind, which is great, but I don't think he actually cares about that. I think in a lot of ways, you're right, it's legitimized him in his own mind. Mm -hmm. The Barcelona win would have been wildly anticlimactic if we hadn't beaten Tottenham. So I'm, right. I'm very happy that we did for the sake of the people on the team and the fact that now that Barcelona win will live forever as opposed to it would have been a nice footnote. Uh, what I will say is I do remember last year when Ox came back after his year-long injury, when he was subbed in for the first time, I noticed Hendo ran across the field to give him a big high 10 and give him a hug and then go on. And that's the kind of thing where you've been away from the team. Sure, you've been practicing with them, everything like that. But the first time you're on the pitch with your team and the captain comes over, that's where I think he's got that innate captain ability. But I think you're right. This year we're seeing it married with the knowledge that I am a Liverpool legend. And that's what we're seeing in him. And that's why he is a standout player this year. And lots of people are talking about him being maybe the best player for Liverpool this year. And I don't know, it's hard to argue against it. There's lots of people who can make that claim. Mane, Van Dijk, Allison. Um, but I don't know. He's been the most consistent. He's been the most consistent and he's been the beating heart for sure. And um, the most ever-present as well. Allison was injured for a few few months. Mane's been out. Salah's been out. Firmino has been on and off form. Van Dijk is Van Dijk. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think he's great. I really like the celebration where he went straight to Firmino. He seems to not care about personal accolades because he knows his legacy will be built on uh, what Liverpool does as a team and he pushes everyone on the team forward. Uh, it reminds me of another anecdote where um, Sterling and uh, Gomez got into the scuffle uh, for the English team. And to say that they got into the scuffle, it was Sterling who clearly has a, a serious issue um, and tried to take it out on Gomez. And Hendo apparently called the coach to offer his services to try to mediate between the two and keep everybody happy. And that's just the kind of guy he is. I think the guy oozes leadership. And I think we're seeing that in the team. Um, and I don't want to shortchange him. He oozes leadership. But this guy has some crazy talent. Um, where I noticed that, I'm going to tell you, it was one of the most uh, shocking things I've seen in a good way. Uh, I had to watch it like four or five times to make sure I actually saw this. People talk a lot about how, you know, Liverpool's good on the counter, Liverpool's good on the press, Liverpool's got all of those skills. But in this case, how quickly can Liverpool strike? This was where it was. So in the 71st minute, Salah's goal, the ball was passed back to Allison, who literally took a, one shot and put it up to midfield, where Hendo one-touched it to Salah, and Salah one-touched it over the goalie. So for people keeping track, this is three touches from our box to their net. But the best thing about it is that it wasn't only three touches because the ball wasn't accelerating and it wasn't a typical fast break, but the players were smart enough to allow the ball to do the work. So they were repositioning their bodies, allowing the ball to 
to fall into the right position for them to make the pass. And then and then they were also anticipating where the ball would be passed to. So Henderson knew that the ball was going to come to him at a certain angle. He repositioned his body in, in order to open it up and pass to Mo Salah, who now also re, um, repositioned himself in order to, to put the the ball over the keeper. Absolutely. So I think there's a lot of skill. I think there's a lot of skill that they understand how to play without the ball what to do to let the ball do the work but when to me it was just mind-blowing you have three touches from one box to the other goal this is you know we we had the previous game where uh, allison actually got an assist a full-blown assist on the Salah goal but that one he put it up to midfield um uh, Salah had the dribble he had to fight off the guy with his newfound hulk-like physique um which he showed us all after the goal. But in this case, it was just a case of everybody knew where to be, everybody knew what to do, and just the one touch. How do you defend, as a team, how do you defend three touches from one box to the goal? It's virtually impossible, and that's a counter. Right. And that's that's where Liverpool becomes even more dangerous. It's not about a fast break. It's about a lightning counter and it clearly shows that they have been working on this they understand positioning they understand where everyone should be yeah and not to mention the i guess you can call it a dummy from firmino where he looked as if he was going to head the ball but he allowed it to loop over him to fall into henderson's pass so it's funny uh you mentioned that because i remember the previous game on the throw-in that led to a goal Firmino did the same thing. He actually came running by like he was going to play it and then ducked yeah, out of the way. He, so he tends to do that a lot. He does. So that suggests to me that they've worked on this, mm-hmm. that, that this is something that the team recognizes and it's to throw the other team off. So they've clearly got strategies going, but I really... So I remember watching the inside Anfield and they had a training session and they don't really explain what's going on in the training session. You just kind of have to make it out on your own. And in this one, I noticed they they had, it was, I don't know, six aside, seven aside, five aside, something like that. And it was clear that it was one touch. So everybody could only touch the ball once. And they had to get rid of it. So clearly they are practicing this. They are working on moving the ball quickly, getting in position for the guy. You don't even get a dribble of it and passing it. You are just every single time, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. And this one worked out. That Salah goal... That's made on the training pitch, and that is made by these players who clearly are doing great. Like they have great vision, they have great understanding, and I just I wanted to mention it because it really I don't want to sell Hendo short. He's a great captain, but there's a lot of skill that he brings. Don't you think other teams would also be training in such a fashion as well? So the one touch, two touch rules. Um, what? Well, what is it about Liverpool that enables them to perfect the counter? So I think part of it is uh, a philosophy, which is that Liverpool looks for the counter at all times. Liverpool is always working. But the other thing is, I think a lot of other teams are maybe looking at it and saying that they want to, um, you know, they want to defend, they want to build... Like you would look at uh, uh, Man City. They look very deliberate in their attack. 
they don't look like they're they're they do the you know tic tac back and forth passing the ball but it's not a forward pass so much as it's side to side moving it a bit things like that Klopp's system seems to be genuinely focused on move it forward attack intimidate get the ball down the field and that's where I think that the difference is I think there's a, a mentality of going for the goal and not just ball possession I think Klopp is perfectly happy with you taking three passes having a shot on net and missing and giving possession back where I think if you did that under Pep he would lose his mind where Klopp does tend to lose his mind I've noticed is on some counters where especially between Mosala and Sadio Mane where they don't seem to find each other he loses it on the on the touchline and you can tell it's because he knows this is something they've practiced but for one reason or the other in the actual game in the last uh, play they choose not to execute in the way they practice so I think that's a great observation. I totally agree with you, which leads me to my question for you. Um, I think they practice together. I think they work together. I think uh, Klopp wants them to play together, pass. But I feel like maybe there's something missing. I'm not even going to bother referencing the incident where Mane got mad because Salah didn't pass. People have talked about that. That's not really the point. My real question is Salah has looked better since Mane went down. I don't know what it is. I just, I, I look at him and something looks different about him, but he feels more dangerous. He, he seems more productive. I've noticed that too. And he seems more relaxed, right? He seems, he seems happier. He's, um, he seems more, he's allowing the game to come to him rather than trying to force it. And I don't know if that's something that he's changed on his own or if, there's something about Sadio Mane also being an option that makes him decide to go for it himself. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure myself either. I've actually found that he's, in the last few games, for whatever reason, he's become a better passer or a more willing passer. He's choosing to pass more. He's choosing to pass more, yeah. Which is surprising because, I mean, if, if you lost Sadio Mane as a guy to pass to... You would think you would pass less because, you know, now all of a sudden you have more of a chance. You should be the one scoring because the other guy who is a fantastic finisher isn't there. Yeah, so both games that Sadio Mane has not been involved, his his position was taken by Ox, right? So in one game it was taken by Origi and the other game it was taken by Ox. Okay. Um, I wonder if... There's something about the way those players are positioning themselves on, on, on Liverpool's attack that enables um, Mo Salah to know that it, it's the better option to pass rather than to go for it himself. You don't think maybe there's a friction between the two? I don't think so. Um, I, I, I think there's a scientific reason why he seems to be freer without Sadio Mane there. And I think possibly... When he knows that he's the main target man, he feels more comfortable passing it to a player knowing that he'll probably get it back versus having another striker next to him where he wants to be the one to score because he's told himself his responsibility on this Liverpool team is to, to score goals. Not because he's selfish, but he's told himself, this is why I'm in this team. So that's it's interesting that you, that you bring that up. Um, 
you know, I think uh, he's he's so he said recently that he's uh, been working on his finishing. I think everyone can agree that Salah's been a bit wasteful. Um, he's been working on his finishing lately. Um, you mentioned though that when he has Sadio Mane there, um, you know, he's more he feels more pressure to pass whatever. Maybe it's just the case of two alphas that it's just it's hard for two alphas to to get along. I would dispute my own theory on the alpha thing because how many of Liverpool's players are alpha? They feel like they're all alpha because let's face it, they all go to any other team they would be, you know, the king on that team. Um, I genuinely don't know what it is between those two guys. Something feels a bit off, and I think Salah has been unchained in the last couple of games without Mane there. Um, and it's it'll be something interesting to see going forward. Before Mane comes back, what does he look like? When Mane comes back, what does he look like? Do you think it's, it's sustainable, this front three? So right now, um, Salah and Mane are 27... And Firmino's 28, I believe. So, is it sustainable for us to rely on them as our front three for the next two seasons? So, the way we talked about in the last podcast um, and the article that I that I posted. So, strikers in general have a longer uh, peak or a later peak than most. In this case, uh, having them be at their peak until 29 would not be abnormal it would probably be a bit of a bit expected. So if they're both 27 right now, uh, Firmino's 28, but again, his game doesn't lend itself, is not really about speed and power and all that. I think he'll age very well. I actually don't think that there's an issue with having these guys as a front three for the next two years. But I'm referring more to the sustainability of, of them as our attack. So given that we're highlighting some potential... I don't want to call it friction, but some potential flaws in, or some gaps in the way that the three of them work together. Um, do you think that we can go into the next couple seasons with them as our attack? I think I would think like to believe that, up? but there's something inside me that says the two of them won't coexist for another two years. I think uh, we need to look at potentially uh, selling one of them. And I, I would guess the one to sell is Mane because he happens to be looking better right now. I think uh, uh, Spain is calling to him. And uh, I could see him potentially leaving after this year. But I, I wouldn't want to see that. But I just, I think that whether they dislike each other, which I don't think which is necessarily I don't think the case. True. Um, I just, I think they both recognize that they're not bringing the best out of each other. I think that's the great way to put it. Um, I would have, until this period where Saudi Mane has been out, I would have preferred, if we had to lose one of them, that we keep Saudi Mane. However, seeing Mo Salah so liberated, I think that he can work with... So, I, I think that we can be more productive with him and two others versus Mane and two others. So Even what I... though I think Mane is the better, the more complete player. So that makes any sense. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I would dispute whether Mane is the more complete player. What I would say is unquestionable is I think Salah is the more terrifying player. I think when you look at the way defenses play them, 
um, the center back is always shading over to try to help cover Salah because I think everyone knows you can't take him one-on-one. I would think the same thing would be happening on the other side because Mane can clearly beat his man, but there doesn't seem to be that fear. I think there's a legitimate fear in the defense of Salah's footwork, which is just astounding. The way he can carry the ball through like four guys in a tight space and come out the other side is mind-blowing. The fact that his speed just can't be matched, uh, I think that scares defenses, and that is where I value Salah more. Because even if you you sell Mane, whoever you replace him with will have more freedom than he would otherwise because the defense is always shading over to Salah. So you can say Salah and Mane are maybe even in goals or even in chances or whatever like that. But the truth is, when you look at the way they're being played by the defense, Salah is getting more of the attention. Which creates space for the other players. Which creates space for the other players. Um, So the last thing I I just wanted to mention on the game, uh, again, great game. How can it not be a great game when it's 4-0? Is, I think, the underrated nature of Klopp. And uh, uh, so I think everyone thinks Klopp is amazing, which absolutely he is. People talk about these various aspects of him as a coach where he's inspirational, no question. He is, uh, he gets the best out of his players. His players work for him. He develops guys. He brings up the youth, all of that. I would say the underrated part of his game is Klopp as a tactician, which is you saw the first half. Um, they, they did not look very good. I think, sure, at halftime he went in and inspired them, but they also made some strategic changes in how they were going to play, in the form they were going to use, and that changed the whole game. And I think Klopp is not recognized enough for his strategic side. I agree. Um, Before he came to England, he was known as this motivating... Uh, coach who pushes game press so go all out and we saw that in his first half season in Liverpool and probably his first full season as well um, but over the years over the, the few seasons he has been able to show his 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 um, breadth of, of flexibility in terms of being able to coach the situation and we've seen this Liverpool team contain. We've seen them press hard. We've seen them continue to gag and press. And we've also seen them be able to out outthink, outplay, and outmuscle the opposition. So I think it says a lot about his change in uh, in in his ability to manage in his tactics that Liverpool is now head and shoulders above the league in goals allowed. So he went from this gag and press from, uh, as he called it, heavy metal soccer. Uh, it was all about scoring, all about pushing forward. When we were up 3 nothing, you weren't really sure we were going to win because we could give up three goals at any time. To now we're talking, we have given up 15 goals in 25 games. And so we're talking, you know, 0.6 goals every game. So we're almost at like half a goal a game. And let's face it, like half of those games were with Adrian in. And Gomez wasn't in. You know, we were we were playing Lovren. So 
we've talked about Lovren and we've talked about his errors and, and all of that. But when you look at it, Klopp has absolutely changed not just the identity of the team, but the tactics as well. Liverpool is happy controlling the ball and taking possession. Liverpool is happy giving you possession and going on the counterattack. And this all comes back to Klopp as a master tactician, which I just don't think he gets the credit for. How much of that do you think is dependent or reliant on his number two, Pep Linders? So I think we got a good lesson in that when his previous number two left um, and everyone called him the brain. And all of a sudden, the team improved, which is not what you would expect. You would expect when the brain leaves, all of a sudden there would be a bit of a problem. Things wouldn't work out. But it was almost like they took it to the next level. And Klopp has talked about that. And he said that he became a lot more confident in himself and he became a lot more independent. He, he took the information and he felt a lot more comfortable making the decisions personally, where before he felt he needed to go to someone else as well. So I think that actually improved him as a head coach. And I think he leans on his number two. He leans on the rest of his staff. He leans on the data guys. But he is the brain at this point i think what we thought was the brain left and what we realized is that guy wasn't the brain klopp is the brain as well as the inspiration as well as the developer as well as everything for this team so buvach was like the mobile phone klopp is actually the the, the true brain who's now relying on his brain rather than technology it seems that way right And, and that's the only conclusion you can draw again can he inspire his players sure can he tell them what to do sure but there is still strategy involved in in the game and he is clearly a master of making fixes on the fly uh when they go in at halftime they come out at the second half looking even better so you know you've got to give credit where credit's due and i think this southampton game showed it so as we wrap up the the uh, review of the southampton game who would you say was the least impressive Liverpool player in this game? If you could pick one player that impressed you the least. Ooh, that one's hard. Um, I think they all looked good. Again, it's hard to criticize in a 4 nothing game. I would say maybe Genie, because I feel like he disappeared for, pe- for periods. Um, his contribution is not really visible. He doesn't show up on the scoreline. He's not going forward a lot, but you see him kind of in the midfield a lot. But I felt like there were periods where I just wouldn't even see him touch the ball for like five minutes. And I felt that that was very unlike him and very unlike what Klopp wants because he wants his midfield to control the game. So I found him a little bit wanting. What about you? I tend to agree. Um, and, and I think with Genie, I think I've come to accept that he will have these games once in a while because the amount of effort he puts into games on average is beyond belief and so you would expect him to have a drop off every three four games which even highlights how henderson really should be considered for player of the year because i i have not seen a drop off uh, from him all season he he just doesn't drop off he's he i i literally think he might die on the field one day because he would run through a heart attack and just keep going. That's just his personality. The The guy won't stop, even when it's not working for him. And every player has a game, in my case, like every game, where it's just not working for you. And he knows it, and he finds other ways to contribute. And it's all about effort. It's all about desire and leadership. 
and he makes it happen. Genie is fantastic. I think most games he shows up, but definitely he's got those games where he just kind of disappears. And I think this was one of them. Well, here we go. Um, Henderson going for the um, soon to be trivia question of who was the first Liverpool captain to lift the Premier League as well as have a Champions League trophy to his name. First time in 30 years. We're going to win the league. You're going to believe us now.